with the views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. To new abolitionist radio. I know everyone got thrown off by that new intro music, uh, but I'm on. Oh, and- yeah, that threw me off for sure, Scotty Reed. Yeah, man, sorry about that. Go ahead, man. All right. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with new abolitionist and actionist Johanna Nalaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the February 22nd broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, eight weeks deep in the 2017 and the tipping point. Tonight, we mark the 22nd day of this Black History Month. Pardon me, but we don't have any long, drawn-out descriptions of tonight's broadcast. Just trust, we are going to drop bombs and wake up minds like the Liberty Bell before the crackers came. John Coolidge is coming back with us this evening, and Sky Reed seems to be feeling a lot better, so expect pure fire and revelations like John of Patmos wrote the script himself. A writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Robert Jones, 44 years old, who spent 24 years of his life locked up in an Angola penitentiary for a murder he did not commit. Our abolitionist in profile will be Crystal Roundtree, founder and director of IMWE Prison Advocacy Network, chairperson for the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Organizing Committee. If you got a question or a comment, Call in toll-free at 1-866-510-9025. You can listen or call in with a web-based flash phone. You can also chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's up, Scotty? Johanna with us, too? Um, No, Johanna's not on the board yet. Um, but I'm doing a lot better, Max. Uh, you know, I was pretty sick last week, man, but I'm recovering quite nicely. Got my strength back up. Just still fighting a little congestion with this cold, but nowhere near where I was last week, where I didn't even want to open my mouth to speak, man, because my throat was hurting. So I'm doing a lot better. I want to apologize for throwing people off with that intro. Um I am working on uh, some new equipment. Uh, we got some new equipment to better handle 
all the different simulcasting to the various platforms. Like, you know, we stream live on Facebook. Of course, our own platform, Black Talk Radio Network. And we've incorporated Spreaker into it. So I I moved everything over to this computer so that, you know, because it's more equipped to handle that kind of load. And I forgot to load your intro music and i was kicking myself in the head and i was like man i ain't gonna be able to do it in time so i apologize for throwing everybody off hey scotty you know that particular poem recently got a a a wonderful honor it was published here in the free times newspaper uh in south carolina as one of the top five protest songs of the entire state Right up there next to some of the greats. Uh, it really was an incredible honor. So Rise Up yeah, is so in this newspaper, right? Man. In Centerfold. Congratulations. And I did hear you mention that last week as, you know, why I wasn't able to speak or do much. I was still, you know, monitoring everything in case there was any issues. And I heard that. But when I first heard that song, Max, um, what, five years ago? How old is that song? Has that song always uh, that song been our intro? Produced and written and published in 2008. Okay, so yeah, that's always been the intro to New Abolitionist Radio. And when I heard it, I was like, yes, this is the perfect intro for New Abolitionist Radio because we need people to rise up against 21st century slavery and human trafficking. So congratulations to, to you and, and my beautiful sister Tribal Rain for that honor. Indeed, brother. Thank you. Uh, indeed. I think we represented well for New Abolitionist Radio, even in the newspaper. Uh, Kevin Oliver, one of the contributors for the newspaper who helped to put this into there, um, mentioned that uh, about abolition and how we stay on point with it and even chose a couple lines that said, you know, this could have been written today and it would still apply. Yes, sir. And uh, just to let you know, Johanan has joined us. Just waiting on him to unmute himself. He's probably getting his equipment together. There yeah. he is. I'm in here. Welcome, fellas. Peace. Yo, I feel so much better today, man. Last week I had to run the ship by myself pretty much. It was no easy task, let me tell you. Thank God Robin K. Miller was here and uh, was willing to just talk while I could do things. So I'm glad yeah. you're back, man. Right on. Good to be back, fellas. Had to take care of some business in the other the other part of life the last few weeks, doing some new training and, and picking up some things with my career. So I'm back, though, on the other side of my life now with the abolitionist side of things, and, and uh, glad to be back with you fellas and, and definitely missed uh, our sacred time. You know, this is, uh, this is like church for me. We come in and we speak the truth and, and fire up the troops, so good to be back. Word, man, word. And things are starting to really look up. Uh, even at the worst of times, I still see the hope. You know what I mean? Like things are coming together just as we expected them, as we predicted they would, as we said they would, as in some cases, as we particularly push towards that direction. They're coming right into play. Even the bad things are serving their good purposes. Max, I, to that to that point you just made, I have a question. And this question I saw somebody else pose on social media. Now, I want to frame this in the context of the new abolitionist movement. And they said that one, they asked the question, do you think that one of the good things to come out of the selection of CEO Donald Trump, of course, they call him president, I call him CEOs. Um, but he said, do you think 
all of this organizing that we see going on would have taken place if Hillary Clinton had become the CEO. And so that person tends to th- tends to lean towards Trump has really uh, put some fire under some people's behinds. And so what do you think about in terms of the new abolitionist movement and what we're pressing for? Well, I guess a simple answer would be, yes, we thought it was a good thing. Not only did I think it was a good thing, but we planned for this in advance with a conundrum. We had the woman who is the mother of mass incarceration that helped create the school-to-prison pipeline that labeled us as super predators and hired uh, hundreds of thousands of new police and built new jails for us to put in to put us into and work with private prisons to enrich their own self versus this wild card of a white racist supremacist with the uh, intellect of an eight-year-old and the vocabulary of a, of a, of a beaver. <laughs> so, and we had to think about that. Like, what do we do? There is no win here. So how do we use these fools in order to make something good happen? Well, the best bet for us was we already knew what Clinton would do. She'd never gotten punished for it. Her husband apologized to some small degree one day and then called us criminals the very next day. So we already knew where she was going to go with it. She was not going to end anything. She was going to work with the prisons who had already been financing her even up to her election. So no way we could go with her. The second one was Donald Trump. And I looked at it like this. If my vote can't help me, maybe it can be a weapon. So... We uh, fought against Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump won. And now he is the bull in the china shop, and everybody's suddenly black. We're all going through the same problems. We're all going through the same suffering. Everybody needs to be in the streets. See, that's what we needed, everybody to get in the streets. We need this catalyst. We need that critical mass to occur. And in the meantime, we're bringing our forces together for the march in Washington on August 19th, when all of this is going to culminate. Yeah, I would like, Johanna, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I agree, of course, with, with what Max is saying and um, getting into the, the recent history of it all. Um, even here recently, watching that Al Jazeera series, the two-part series about uh, the, the people versus the United States and just going into the history of how they created these types of presidents and these types of regimes have continued to drive us towards, you know, this end. Um, Trump promised, you know, that he was going to bring back jobs and manufacturing and whatnot, but really there, you can't bring back manufacturing. It's, it's just a matter of, it's just not going to work. So the only thing he really can do is bring back jobs and those jobs being in the prison system. I mean, this is the same thing we've seen, going on from the Reagan times, you know, from Reagan's times on until now. They have not come up with a new, I mean, really FDR's plan to bring jobs was kind of a puffed up fantasy, which required that a whole subsection of the country, the black folks, immigrants, I mean, they had the immigrant situation going on with Mexicans back in that time too. That was the first time they went on a tear and booted them out the country and talked all this stuff like they talking today. So these things have happened before to empower white males and to a certain extent white females as long as they was willing to marry into you know the system so it's no surprises right now if you know anything about history it's no surprises with what's going on what we got to do is make sure we get people out um 
come August for the Millions for Prisoners march to to unify and show a sign of force, show a sign of power of a collective of people that know slavery is going on, know that it's real, know that it's in a modern day situation, a system that's continuing to just crush people and get all these people that how they became, they got solidarity behind voting for Trump because they were out of work and they were poor and they felt like they, they were marginalized and, and pushed to the side and all of that. Those same people need to get behind the abolitionist movement and end slavery because slavery is what is empowering your corporate parents who are doing this to you. Scott, do you have an opinion? Um, yes, I'm in agreement. I think that if CEO, if we had been looking at a CEO Clinton, that she has proven herself to be an enemy of certain classes of people in this country. She is known to talk out of both sides of her mouth. And, and I just felt like a whole lot of people, especially in our community, given how they showcase black celebrities behind Hillary Clinton, that if she got in there, then, you know, all these people be sitting at home, sitting on their hands, thinking things is okay and whatnot. And, and, and then some of the other stuff that she was proposing that doesn't really have to do with slavery, but has to do with uh, trouncing freedom of speech. Um, you know, and, and saying, like, if anybody criticized Israel, like we've criticized Israel for their prison industrial complex that preys on the Palestinians and the uh, slave catchers who are terrorizing the black Jews in that country. And she was going to make it a crime, talking about making it a crime, calling criticism of Israel anti-Semitism. So that whole affront to to the freedom of speech, you know, so I, I'm, I'm like, you know, yeah, Trump is terrible, but guess what? At least your butt is awoke and alert as to what what can happen. And now we are seeing people uh, who who otherwise wouldn't be mobilizing are mobilizing. So that's how I feel about it. Right, right. And now that you're mobilized, it's just a matter of giving them direction, truth that they can see. Instead of fighting every ghost in the closet. You can look at the facts and fight something that can knock this whole thing down. And that's where we come in. Indeed. Man. You know, speaking of the Clintons and the things that they were involved in, I discovered some information recently that just blew my freaking mind, man. Um, You know, I was researching the GEO group, and I had this query in my mind because GEO Group is going around saying, oh, we're the second largest private prison in the world, followed, of course, by uh, Core Civic, or is it Civic Core? Core Civic, right? Core Civic is number one, and GEO Group is number two. And Core Civic was previously known as CCA until 13th came out, and then they had to change their name. So now they're Core Civic. So they're going around talking about how they're number two, and I, I kept wondering, is there even a number two? Or is this all the same investment company that owns both of them? So I've been doing some research, you know, and I found out that the GEO Group owns the detention centers in Guantanamo Bay. In Guantanamo, talking about where the tortures and things like that occur, that's the GEO Group. They run that stuff over there. Not only that, they also run... Detention centers that hold Haitians here in the United States, 
as well as running prisons in Haiti. And I went and looked at one of the videos of the largest prison in Haiti, dude. It was, I mean, it's right now, you can look at our new abolitionist radio, top of the page, all the information. It's one of the most terrible things I've ever seen in my life. 60 people coming out of a cell built for 16, eating the same gruel day in, day out. It looked like something that you would have seen in one of those Somalian hunger commercials, starvation commercials. People are just dying and crying. This one brother was like, I've been here six years. They just picked me off on the street. I don't even know what I did. Nobody's ever took me to court, and I've been here six years. Only God can help me now. The GEO group. Well, I just found an email um, message showing me the uh, GEO group posted their fourth quarter 2016 earnings late this evening, uh, actually just a little bit before we came on the air, and I just got an update for it. looks like they made nearly $560 million in the fourth quarter of the year 2016, uh, beating all the estimates and everybody's uh, predictions for what they would do for the quarter. Now, remember, uh, in August, when that uh, Department or uh, Bureau of Prisons memo came out, you know, they were done deal. Uh, down to $12 a share, I think, was the low it dropped to, and, and uh, they had to stop trading to prevent, you know, the losses that they grew to be so great. And they've also incurred at least three separate international um, uh, class action lawsuits from their shareholders that, that all are complaining that they never told them that they weren't adhering to the words of the contract from the federal government, which is the basis for the most of their uh, revenue that they generate. So when the government said they were going to stop renewing the contracts and they were going to uh, uh, stop doing business with the private prisons, well, this is where people said that they were putting their money at undue risk because they weren't following what the rules of the contract said is according to what the government's reason was for stopping that relationship. So that's a big swing to go from uh, $12 a share, I think was their low, to back up over $45 a share. And they generated $566.58 million in revenue just last quarter, beating estimates by over $10 million. And, you know, these companies we're speaking of, Geo Group and CCA and CC, CEC, are some of the largest privately owned corporations in the world, like literally among the top three type large, only beaten by Walmart and um, Bill Gates' company, basically. And I found out that the connection to them, after talking to some uh, knowledgeable friends of mine, is the investment companies, like the Vanguard Group and also like Persian, Persian Square. And these investment companies hold uh, a lot of the wealth that is generated through and by companies like the Geo Group. So they're the big monster hiding behind, or actually the little monster, hiding behind the screen with all the wealth, talking about don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. A lot of revenue, man. We've seen them since we've been reporting on their earnings calls over the years. I've been on this program. We've seen them generate uh, they were around $280 million a quarter, over $320 million. I remember that jump, $350, uh, $400 million. I mean, they just continue to rake in more and more money every quarter. I mean, I really do. I remember when we were on this program listening to, their, to, the, uh, tr- to the call live, 
Um, and they were talking about, you know, not even $300 million they generated in a quarter. And we were talking about how much that was at the time. So, I mean, the things that we discuss, again, the, the focus of this year has to be bringing people of like minds or people who are willing to wake up together for the millions for prisoners march in august there's just no way around it like we're at a point where we've seen what trying to inform people we've seen what staying on top of the news we've seen what organizing we've seen what locally and even nationally impacting elections has done we've seen what being a part of creating legislation that gets introduced i mean we've been a part of so many different aspects of this fight this is just one more tool in the arsenal and we've yet to use this weapon so this is one that that needs to to go off with a big bang and really impact the social narrative the popular culture narrative get the news cameras on us and we've got enough to perpetuate the propaganda endlessly if we could just get that one sonic boom that one wave of attention on the millions for prisoners march they could put a microphone a camera steal the transcripts, the phone calls, text messages, whatever. They can go on and on looking into what we're talking about, and we will never be proven wrong, and we'll never run out of material as long as they still keep the slavery going. So this is definitely something that, that is a huge thing that needs to happen. Indeed, man. And, you know, we have this unique perspective where we get to see all the aspects simultaneously. We hear all the testimonies. We read all the stories. So we, there may be experts in one area, but we get to see it all from an aerial view and watch it over time and report on it, the occurrences. So the ebbs and flows are visible to us. The weaknesses that occur, the time when it's time to strike is very visible to us. And that's what we see right now. And that's why we're calling for everybody to participate in this Millions for Prisoners March on Washington on August 19th. We feel, and, and as I said, we've got a very unique perspective. Keep that in mind. We feel that that could be the catalyst of change, not only in America, but globally. Hmm. Well, from the minute from the uh, transcripts on that geo uh, conference call, it says, uh, with respect to our portfolio, our real estate portfolio as a real estate investment trust, our company has provided essential real estate and management solutions to government agencies in the field of detentions, corrections, and community reentry facilities. For more than 30 years today we manage or own over 87,000 beds worldwide in a diversified network of real estate assets making geo the seventh largest correctional organization in the world during 2016 geo corrections and detention processed over 276,000 admissions 267,000 releases while managing an average daily population of more than 60,000 individuals without any significant incidents. So I guess the people that died in custody, the people that were raped in custody, the people who were starved, the people who were denied medical care, the people who were beaten, the people who were kept in constitutional and human rights violating solitary confinement conditions, the people who have been abused by this company, and we've talked about it all year long, those are not significant incidents according to what they tell in their shareholders. Additionally, our GO Transport Division transported more than 735,000 passengers while driving more than 16 million miles in the U.S. and internationally, again, without any significant incidences, his words. So, I mean, this is... You uh, said 
how the hell did the Geo Group get rated seventh when just last year they were second? When they own the holdings of G4S, which is the third largest privately owned corporation in the world. How did That's they make the word from the transcript, yeah. That's weird. That's I wonder who took yeah. the spot. But again, I don't see them now as separate entities. When I start looking at these investment firms, I understand who's pulling the strings and if these companies are just no more than shell companies, so to speak. They're, they're money laundering uh, companies where they can launder the money through uh, human trafficking and slavery. Just like when uh, in 2008, when the vice president, Dick Cheney, well, not 2008, what was it, 2004 or something like that, when vice president Dick Cheney, as a city vice president, had $80 million of his own money invested in the Vanguard Group, who had their money in turn invested in private prisons, and he was working with the then sitting uh, attorney general, uh, what, was, what was the attorney general's name right there? And then Alberto Gonzalez, is Alberto Gonzalez, was sitting at the attorney general, and both of them were affecting our laws in order to get people to come in earlier, younger ages, to stay in longer, to uh, be in for lesser crimes, in order to line their own pockets and make more money. They were manipulating our laws in this country as the attorney general and the vice president in order to line their own pockets with prison money. It was a damn shame. They went to court uh, for racketeering. The pr vice president was charged with racketeering and attorney general. And uh, the way that story turns out is by itself a miniseries. Uh, suffice to say that at the end, the judge presiding over the case disappeared. Well, that's no shock. <laughs> that's no shocking uh, uh, factor. It's like anybody that touches the truth and uh, gets behind the movement or knows the information. I mean, it's it's only obvious at this point. They don't even try to hide it. You know, these court cases, these situations that come up, they don't even try to hide it. So, uh, yeah. wow. Hey, and, and you know, change. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, Scott. Well, no, I was no, about to. Ahead, I was about to change and and switch over because um to another story concerning a panel of I think were abolitionists or um that you recently participated in and and um I do have that clip chewed up for you whenever you want me to share that. Yeah, yeah, I would like to. Let me give a quick intro uh, about it though, if if you don't mind. Um. It was just a couple of days ago, I was invited by a brother by the name of Roberto Astafo Williams uh, to share my story in a roundtable discussion on revolution and slavery and human trafficking. It was actually uh, titled as The Prison Industrial Complex and Our Responsibility. And I was surprised when I got there, Scotty, some of the most learned minds, including brothers who were at the time of the conversation behind bars for 17, 18 years, some of the most learned minds on this subject were there discussing it, including the son of Chairman Fred Hampton, Fred Hampton Jr. was there. And uh, there was really nothing I could tell them. Dude, I was so proud and so, I mean, just excited because, you know, it's rare. We, I don't think we've ever seen something like that at that level. Well, we didn't have to describe it or convince somebody or anything. They already knew. There was nothing I could tell them. But it asked me to share my story, so I did. I tried to give them a new perspective or broader perspective and a possible solution. And you know what? I think the world needs to hear what I said that day because it's basically the mission statement of this march. 
which is coming up August 19th. So, sure, Scotty, go ahead and play it. Yes, uh, greetings all, and uh, it's really nice to hear this conversation. My name is Max Parthas. I'm the host of New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, I have been an abolitionist now for about a dozen years, and uh, it really is a pleasure to hear this conversation and such knowledge coming forth, brothers and sisters. There was a time when I could not hear it anywhere. So uh, it really touches my heart, and all glory to God for this happening today. I don't think that there is anything that I can tell you new, but in regards to the prison industrial complex and our responsibility, I can maybe offer a perspective and also a possible solution. The perspective that I would like to present to you is when we talk about the prison industrial complex, it's very important what words we use. I've been a poet all of my life, a highly celebrated poet, and I know the power of words. The prison industrial complex is an aspect of slavery. There's also the war industrial complex, the private probation industrial complex, and on and on and on. And all of those are components of legalized slavery and human trafficking, which is allowed through the 13th Amendment exception clause of our Constitution. And we all know that already. But it is also a global problem. Since 1994, with the Clinton Crime Bill and the birth of Wackenhut Corrections Corporation, which morphed into the GEO Group, which took control of G4S, we have seen them open prisons like this all across the globe. Right now, the largest private employer on the entire continent of Africa is a prison company, G4S. Uh, in Turkey, they are about to open 174 new prisons to house 100,000 in Brazil. Some of the most notorious mm. prisons on earth have recently been sold to private prisons. We are not alone here in America on this, just as Amen. we were not alone in 1865 with the same problem. So it is yeah. my uh, suggestion that we not only broaden our perspective, but also link hands with those across the seas who are going through the same problems that we Amen. are. I believe that if we can conquer this problem here in America, we can conquer this problem across the world because the world is watching to see what we will do. In the history of our people, there's only been one time when we almost beat white supremacy, when we almost took it down, and that was during the abolitionist movement. It ended up in a civil war, and we got a measure of freedom, but we didn't really get our freedom, as you well know. On August the 19th of this year, we have formed what we call the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. We are coming with demands and legislators and legislation in hand. I believe that if just two people who are affected by the prison system, <clears throat> which told us to 24 million people a year, 2.4 million in prisons, uh, 13 million going through the jail system every year, 8 million on probation and parole, and that's not even counting the juvenile detention facilities or the immigration centers, right. that you can get 48 million people in the streets of Washington, D.C. If that is not something that could cause a serious end to a problem, I don't know what it is. So I would suggest, if you may, take a look at a website 
called I am we Ubuntu.com and check the information out there and consider supporting this movement and attending this event. We're not coming there with 33 different, 43 different agendas. We have one agenda to end slavery in the United States of America as abolitionists, starting by removing the exception clause of the 13th Amendment and demanding congressional hearings on what this 13th Amendment has done to us in 152 years. As abolitionists, our goals are fourfold. First, end slavery. Second, free the enslaved. Third, negotiate for reparations. And fourth, support black autonomy. But we have a choice of our own destiny and how we build our own societies and how we run our own lives. These are goals that we're looking for. So as I said, you are all well-versed on this subject. There's nothing new that I can tell you. But hopefully I was able to broaden your perspective of the problem that we're dealing with right now and to give you a possible solution that may avoid a very bloody war. We have uh, senators and congressmen coming in on the 19th of August to participate as speakers, and we are working with a large coalition of groups who plan to uh, manage their own activities, if you understand what I mean, as well as working with the prisoners on the inside who will be enacting a prison labor work strike for the second time in the past year now. Uh, as well as other things. So, uh, again, those are the things I would like to offer for you to consider, and I thank you for giving me an opportunity to speak here. All right, excellent. Yeah. Brother, where's, um, where's, get, Sister Pam, get us information so we can reach out to the brother and stay in touch with it. Um, yes, ma'am. My name is Max Parthas, M-A-X Parthas, P-A-R-T-H-A-S. And you can find me at the blacktalkradionetwork.com, blacktalkradionetwork.com. And the program is called New Abolitionist Radio. We've been talking about this subject in detail and exclusively now for over five years. And we believe that we have some of the, uh, if not the largest collection of evidence and testimony on this subject on the face of this earth, enough to, as they say, prosecute a ham sandwich. So once we get to Washington on August 19th, we'll be presenting a lot of this evidence and looking towards our own version of the Nuremberg trials in order to hold these criminals accountable for crimes against humanity. Yes, sir. Would you give your last four digits of your number so I, I see the screen, but therefore I can write it out? 2023. And the website for the march where you can get all the information is, once again, I am we Ubuntu.com. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. There you have it, Scotty. You have it? Uh... And we'll open the lines, too, if we've got any callers. What did you think, brothers? Well, I took it that the uh, the uh, music leading that, kind of leading this album might have been our first break, but, um, you know, like uh, you said, just being, in a, just being in a forum of, of people that know and understand what's going on, man, is very, very empowering. No, no yes. Um, yes. 
Uh, just for clarification, yeah, Johanna, uh, we only take breaks at the top of the hour in the last half hour. Um, I mean, right. what can I say, Max? I can't critique you, man. Uh, you put it out there. The information is the information. Facts can't be disputed. It is on those other people to, and I didn't hear anybody disputing anything that you said. So, you know, it. but for the skeptics out there, we just ask that you do your own research. And as Max pointed out, we've been doing this program going on five years. And I do believe we have the largest archive of news stories, news reports. We've even had had victims, uh, uh, former and current victims. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a current victim of modern slavery call into the program. We have talked to professors of law. Um, some of them have received awards for that particular area of law. And they have come on here and agreed that this is slavery. This ain't mass incarceration. This is a continuation of slavery. It's right there in the 13th Amendment. So so great job, man, in continuing to, you know, spread the seeds of abolitionism. I heard some wonderful, insightful people speaking that night. Uh, the link is available on New Abolitionist Radio if you want to hear the whole two-hour broadcast. Um, it, it was very powerful. At one point, we even had one sister. I mean, everybody was real about this, Scotty. I mean, this putting their lives on this real, which is what we were hoping many others would do. And she was, got to the point, she got upset. She was like, you know, it's too many people betraying us, too many people selling us out, you know, and if you're going to do that, we're going to eliminate you. I mean, that's how okay. serious they were about this whole scenario. And with Brother Fred Hampton on the line, of course, speaking his wisdom as well, you know they were serious. Right, right. Well, Max, we do have a caller. Um, and before we bring the caller on, I do want to say that the telephone number for anybody who has a question or comment, any testimony they would like to share, you can give us a call at 866-510-9025 and hit star star to unmute yourself. We'll see you on the board and we'll call on you. So we do have a, a caller from your neck of the woods. Uh, Max, your last four is 4363. Uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio. Did you have a question or comment for us? Uh, yes, my name is uh, J.S. I'm a friend of Max. Hi, Max. Um, I just wanted to let you guys know I am from Max's area, and I uh, credit Max Parthas, uh for making me into an abolitionist. And I um, listen to you guys regularly, and I really appreciate it. I've got a lot of information from you guys, and I wanted to share a few things that I've heard here in South Carolina that's very concerning to me um, and some things that I checked out. I do have several contacts in prisons. Um, actually, I'm talking to five people, that, five men that are incarcerated in different prisons um, throughout South Carolina. And something occurred this week that's extremely trouble, or excuse me, probably uh, two weeks ago, uh, close to that. Uh, it was on the 7th of February. Um, I have one person that called and told me that um, a man was asking um, a CO to be let out of his room. He was afraid, and he uh, talked to the guard, and the guard told him he would have to um, go and ask permission from the captain. They went to the captain, and several people overheard this, and this is... Uh, uh, the 
CO's name was uh, McCoy, and he allegedly went to the captain. The captain said, don't, don't let them out um, unless there's blood or a body. And this was overheard by several people, several. Um, I've talked to three different inmates that this is at Kershaw Correctional Facility, and that the man was beaten for over an hour and a half with absolutely no response. Uh, the inmates were kicking the doors. They said they were mule kicking. That the man, the CO, allegedly looked in to the room three times before he asked them to cut the light on. People were screaming. Um, he finally left and came back with what they call two white shirts. And I've been told white shirts are um, people with rank, maybe sergeants to a captain came in with a stretcher and removed a man named Mark Snyder. Um, Mark Snyder was bleeding profusely Ted, and they put him on a stretcher and handcuffed And that um, they, I was told by three separate inmates that they took him, instead of straight to an emergency room, that they took him to Kirkland correctional facility first where they then told them to take him to a hospital and I was able to corroborate this by in the Department of Corrections was at Kershaw on the 7th of February was transported um, to Kirkland also on the 7th and then was transferred again on the 7th same day to Outside Medical where he stayed for five days so this man was beaten for an hour and a half before anyone did anything. People were screaming for help, asking um, for a first response team, and they were told that there was no first response. Um, and it's extremely troubling um, that everyone is saying that they're so understaffed here, and I'm sure this is going on in other prisons nationwide. Um and I hear more and more stories from these inmates every day. I've also heard that they are going to be putting netting up around the prisons to supposedly control contraband that's being thrown over the fences. Um, I was able to confirm that as well from an AP story of February 1st, and it's on uh, New Abolitionist Radio Facebook and moved to abolish 21st century slavery Facebook. So people can read um, the story there about how the South Carolina Department of Corrections plans on spending $7 million to um, extend some netting over the razor wire fence to keep contraband out while they can't even keep the inmates safe. So I wanted to share that with you guys and see what you think. Well, I talked with you before about it, J.S., and, you know, from my perspective, this is a violation of the Eighth Amendment netting, first of all, uh, cruel and unusual punishment because you're only getting an hour a day outside, and now you've got to do it under a net. You can't even see the sky, and it doesn't matter if it's made out of silk or steel. It's still a damn net closing you in 24 hours a day now. And we know that the exactly. South Carolina prisons have been dealing with decades of abuse, and constitutional violations that are well-documented, that have been investigated by the Department of Justice, that have been uh, 
also repudiated by justices, Supreme Court justices. And you can see several of those articles right now on New Abolitionist Radio where we talk about it. They even shut the prisons down. And recently a notice came out, which was pushed out uh, primarily by people within the Millions for March, for Prisoners March on Washington, that pointed out that they are going under a new um, rule now that if one prisoner is out of line, the entire prison suffers for it. So if somebody does something that they feel is egregious, all the prisoners go into lockdown, which is, again, cruel and unusual punishment from South Carolina's prisons. Exactly. And I was sharing that with us indeed, Jess. But go ahead. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I was just saying I saw the same thing that, and they are telling the prisoners, the hand of one is the hand of all. And I said, that's not what that means. Uh, But if they throw contraband over, if you're in a dorm that the contraband's thrown over, you you could be asleep on your bunk. Somebody throws contraband over, you lose all your visitation for the whole, whole area, whether you did it, had anything to do with it or not. Same thing goes for um, assaulting a CO. And I actually saw this letter that was put out by the Department of Corrections and was not supposed to leave the Department of Corrections. Um, so that that's pretty frightening to me. That says that they are wanting the prisoners to pretty much police themselves. So if someone gets in trouble, then they're going to be angry at the person that's cost them their visitation, and there might be retaliation instead of the prison dealing with the person who actually did it. And we know that the retaliation can be extremely cruel. Just recently, one man who was incarcerated in a South Carolina prison received 37 years in solitary confinement. Let me repeat that. 37 years in solitary confinement for posting Facebook status updates. One year for every Facebook status update. Now, it doesn't matter right. if he was in prison for a gram of cocaine or failure to pay debts or whatever it may be. He's looking at 37 years of torture for posting on Facebook. Right. And um, I think I, read, I saw that same article that you guys had up there that it was 74 years that he lost canteen privileges and visitation, and telephones. So basically he's going to be put in a hole, not allowed to write, talk to his family, or have canteen just put in a hole for Facebook. And I would like to share something else with you guys. Um, My brother was murdered. So I do have uh, people that are in the Department of Corrections, one that that murdered my brother, who received a 30-year sentence. Um, now, I do believe that that man deserves life. He killed my brother. He shot him in the back. I can't understand how a, a person that was posting to Facebook has more time and more punishment person than my brother. So, it's yeah, amazing. It's, it's horrible. It's, it, it, yeah. Thank you for adding your testimony to the archives and the records of this is what's happening right now. Uh, We're not talking about, you know, something that happened 30 years ago. She's informing you on circumstances that are occurring today in South Carolina prisons. My brothers, do you have anything to say about this? 
Yeah, I just want to echo what she said about them spending. How much did you say? Seven, how much? Seven hundred million? No, seven million. They're starting oh. at Lee Correctional, okay. and they're spending one hundred thirteen thousand some odd dollars for the initial netting. But ultimately, they, I believe, have approved seven million dollars for some netting. Right, and if and, and if South Carolina prisons are like most of the prisons across this country, I bet they aren't spending too much money on prisoner health care either, are they? Oh no, no the, uh, the same prisoners said that. Yeah, they they told me that they haven't had sick call in over a month, and prior to this, I assumed if you were in prison and you were sick and you told them, they would you know take care of you, but I. I have more stories than you guys could hear tonight about how prisoners uh, get no health care and are sick, severely sick, and are not taken care of at all. Mm. Given the most well documented, right? Well documented right. cases, especially with the mental health and juvenile detention facilities. Mm. Um, exactly. I'm not sure if this uh, other caller has a question for UJS or or wants to make a, a comment in general, but nine one nine. Um, from my home state of North Carolina. Did you have a question or comment? 919-LAST-42470. Did you have a question or comment? Good evening, everyone. This is Crystal Roundtree calling out of North Carolina. <laughs> hey, Crystal, you are actually our abolitionist profile tonight. Uh, welcome <laughs> back to New Abolitionist Radio. Thank you so much. I just wanted to, I'm sitting here really enjoying the program this evening. I did want to um, add one um, uh, comment to what uh, uh, the caller, I believe her name was J.S., just mentioned about what's there in the South Carolina prisons. I was actually there last weekend visiting with some of the Jailhouse Lawyer Speaks members, and definitely this policy that she's speaking of, um, I think it's important to note that this policy came out uh, right around the time of the September 9th strike. Mm-hmm. It is of opinion that this was in response to that, actually. And what it essentially does is it discourages prisoners from striking or, you know, policy. I don't know if there's damage to state those lines, then everyone collectively is punished unless you report it. There actually was a um, prisoner at McCormick uh, Correctional down there in South Carolina who was actually killed over this policy. Um, mm. You know, what from from the reports that I hear, um, he, he was expecting a, a visit that weekend. And because of the actions of some other prisoners, I guess trying to smuggle contraband in, et cetera, he was making a fuss about the fact that, you know, this isn't right. I need my visit. I don't have anything to do with that. Well, he was tied up in a cell, and he was murdered. And this was in direct response to this policy um, that has come out. And so oftentimes in response to this September 9th event, you know, the SCDC is quick to say that, oh, you know, we didn't have anyone striking, we didn't respond, and they really try to downplay what occurred. But, in fact, these are the subtle policies and things that they try to put in place. Um, and 
to some extent has been affected. I'm glad to hear, though I've seen this, 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 this story and this topic being discussed several times just this week here, and I hope that we continue to highlight um, these issues that are occurring because people die behind these policies, and it's not um, the prisoner's responsibility to police each other. Um, but that's, that's essentially what this policy does. So I just wanted to add that piece to it. Um, I'm enjoying the program. Thank you so much for highlighting the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March. We're super excited about that, and um, we're encouraging everyone to turn in, tune in every week to the New Abolitionist Radio platform. It's such an educational program. It's such an educational program, I think, that everybody should be listening in. Thank you. Thank you, Indeed, indeed. Brothers? Well, definitely, appreciate, definitely appreciate that. Is is you know the compliment and and uh, the, the shout out and the support. Um, as you said, it's not the the inmate slaves' job to police themselves. I mean, this thing is is we've documented you know just sis- systemically top to bottom is designed to fail in all the ways that it fails, and it fails wonderfully in terms of generating revenue for the people that are that are squeezing it out you know that for the cash cow that it has become so the failures that that occur um you know no matter which ones you want to point out you can point directly to how that somehow generates revenue for somebody how the staffing the the care the environment, the culture, the education or lack thereof. I mean, just everything about the way the system is set up and operated, it generates some kind of revenue for somebody on some level. And that's why, you know, again, we, we've got to continue to do what we're doing, make the connections, um, you know, all throughout all aspects of our society, people that are in all kinds of positions with all different degrees of knowledge about this issue and come together and get that mass truth bomb and just drop it on America. Like this is the time. I mean, it it could be no better time. Look at what we got going on in our administration of this country on down. Right. You know, also uh, brother Braggs, did you have a question or comment? Um, Cause you were unmuted and we were getting background noise. So I muted you, but I want to come to you. Did you have a question or comment for us, brother Braggs? Okay. Well, Brother Braggs, if you want to chime in, just hit star, star, and unmute yourself again, and we'll get your comment. Um, on, on the issue of the co- contraband, I do see the other caller, the unknown caller. Uh, give me just a second to make this statement, and then we'll come to you. Um, now, I know it's some people out there saying, well, they shouldn't have cell phones and all this and that, right? But they've been having these cell phones and other contraband Ever since prison's been created, okay, there, you know, there's just that underground uh, economy that's going on on these prison plantations. But I feel personally, I feel like this is a direct response on them using that technology to call into new abolitionist radio, 
to take pictures of the deplorable conditions inside the prison and post those to the internet and just they really want to shut down that kind of information getting out the prison and I feel like that is why they're intensifying their focus on you know the social media use and postings and things of that nature I could be wrong but I, I think that that is what is behind a lot of this they don't want the public getting firsthand testimony and evidence from inside the prison plantation. Um, we got an unknown caller. You unmuted yourself. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you for joining us. Um, good evening. My name is Jennifer. I'm from New Jersey. I'm just tuning in a little late. I'm sorry that my phone number came up um, unknown. I'll make sure to unblock it. Hey. So I don't know really what you guys were talking about, but I wanted to know had you discussed um, the news in New Jersey about GEO Group taking over community education center? See, that's what I keep talking about. No, I had not heard that the GEO Group had absorbed CEC. But Max, Max, uh, if you remember, yes. again, we have reported on so much on this program. I can recall us pointing that they were lobbying for that. But in terms of this actually coming to pass, no ma'am, we had not heard that. Okay. I just wanted to comment about that because I used to, I'm not ashamed to, to say this, I used to work for GEO Group. Well, actually I worked for an organization that was bought by GEO Group while I was working there. Mm-hmm. And I worked at one of the day reporting centers for people on parole um, as a wow. therapist. What I did there, I did alcohol and drug assessments for the people coming home on parole. So I didn't work there full time. It was more like a contract position. But what ended up happening to me after having this um, per diem job for about four years, I got really depressed. And I couldn't really figure out why. I was depressed, but it was the job that led to me being depressed because I was watching so many people that I grew up with come into this place and they weren't helping them anymore. When GEO took over this company, they cut out all the programming, like the employment services and things like that. So eventually I winded up resigning from the job. I also worked for CEC for a year in their county corrections program. Um, another very dreadful experience where I burnt out very quickly because the people's needs weren't being met and me just being one person, there wasn't really much I could do. But I just think it's very interesting how GEO Group is absorbing CEC, which was a very, very large company. Mm. Um, another thing that stands out with CEC is that over 80% of their employees are black here in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a problem when we're talking about, like, the millions of prisoners, human rights march and things like that. It's difficult for that, that large group of people to get on board because a lot of them still work for these companies. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're not the first person to call in who has experienced what you experienced. And I'm glad that you said that you were there helping people. You were trying to help people. And then you saw that they weren't helping anyone. They started cutting back on the services. And we listen in 
to the GO calls, the CCA calls when we can, when they had their quarterly earnings calls, or we will download the um, the uh, uh, audio files and then we'll put them out to the public. But we've heard them talk about repeat customers. You don't want mm-hmm. to. You don't want to help these people in case they get out and, you know, they get their life on track and they're not going to do anything to end up back in the prison. Not that you have to do anything to become a victim of 21st century slavery, but they are all about having repeat customers. That's how they refer to them. They either call them beds or they call them repeat customers. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can confirm that this is literally breaking news. It just happened today. And it says, uh, this is from Reuters, February 22nd, Geo Group Incorporated. Geo Group announces $360 million acquisition of community education centers. Geo Group Incorporated says Geo plans to integrate CEC into Geo's existing business units of Geo Corrections and Detentions and Geo Care. Geo Group Incorporated uh, will acquire CECs for $360 million in an all-cash transaction excluding transaction-related expenses. GEO will not assume any debt as a result of transaction. They expect to achieve annualized net synergies of approximately $5 million from the deal. And they say acquisition is expected to increase GEO's total annualizing revenue by approximately $250 million. There's more to it you can read on New Abolitionist Radio. It's literally breaking news. Thank you, Jennifer for sharing that with us. Aren't you also one of the... I wanted to point out really quickly, do you see how many beds there are for the state of New Jersey? New Jersey is not that big of a state. There's a lot of beds, residential beds. So all of our black men that are incarcerated here in New Jersey are expected to fill those beds. And they'll probably also be shipping in, that's part of the human trafficking aspect, Mm -hmm. shipping in prisoners from other states. You know, we need to take a break, but I want to continue this conversation about New Jersey when we come back on the other line. I know a thing or two about CEC I wouldn't mind sharing as well. So, Scotty, you can chew us up. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We're dropping bombs and setting fire to everything. Watch out. It's going to get hot. We're going to have a few messages, and we'll be right back after that. Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We were just talking about the GEO Group uh, acquiring CEC, which stands for Community Education Centers. They have those right here in South Carolina. I visited them personally and spoke to the CEO of CEC here in South Carolina and told him to his face that I was intent on putting him out of a job. And I still mean it, as a matter of fact. 
I just pulled up an article about Chris Christie and his connection to CEC and ICE. For those that don't know, Chris Christie at one time was a lobbyist for CEC. So which means he has direct connections now with the GEO Group. He has even used eminent domain laws in New Jersey to put these halfway houses and juvenile detention facilities all across the New Jersey landscape and expand it to the point where we have them here in South Carolina, uh, a long way from New Jersey. So it is a terrible circumstance, and we also found out that companies like CEC in New Jersey charge as much as $220,000 a year to incarcerate one teenager. So that's basically a bounty on those children's heads. So you've got the governor working with private prisons now to incarcerate children for profit. I've even in Missouri spoken with a man who knew the founder of CEC personally, brother by the name of Maurice. Hopefully, if he's listening, he'll call in and tell us his story about that himself. It's kind of an in-depth story, so I'll save it for another day. But suffice to say this, in addition, one of the worst things we could ever see is one prison running all the prisons across the globe. And that's what it looks like this is heading towards, which I mentioned earlier in the program. They're already under the control of only a couple of investment companies. But imagine just one company owning all prisons all over this globe, and that's the direction it's heading. Anything uh, you guys want to add to that? Yes, Max. This is why that story that we reported on two weeks ago, I'm sorry I don't remember the name of the group. I know African Student Collective or something to that effect. But them putting the pressure on the University of California uh, uh, university system to divest from Wells Fargo because of Wells Fargo's investment in private prisons and even underwriting the insurance. I think they said for the GEO group. And so they ended up pulling the uh, University of California system, ended up pulling, what was it? Oh, almost a half a billion? Million. How much? $475 million investments from uh, Wells Fargo. Right. So that is a tremendous, that was a tremendous uh, victory um, for those students to pressure that institution to act on, you know, removing its funding from one of the institutions that's part of this whole modern slave system. And this is something that we as individuals can do whether it's Bank of America, which also invests in private prisons, or Wells Fargo, we can close our accounts. All of these churches, I just heard a conversation about this today on Tanya Free and Friends, where they were talking about, they weren't talking about slavery and human trafficking, but they were talking about how these banks, how these black churches, every Monday deposit all that money into these banks that don't invest in our communities and deny us loans and what have you and practice racism. But the bigger the bigger issue that I have with them is their investments in 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And there is no excuse for anybody, anybody to allow these people to handle your accounts. You can find a slavery-free institution to deposit your money in. So I just wanted to add that, you know, that that is very important, that, that this thing isn't too big for us. 
It's just going to take us getting committed and taking actions that we can take to impact the system. Right, like collective actions, like the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington. I mean, we're, in this instance, we're like David, and this is Goliath we're fighting. But you know what? If it can bleed, it can die. And on July 18th of 2016, we watched it almost bleed to death when the DOJ announced that they would be phasing out their contracts. If not for Wall Street canceling trading on that day, those private prisons would have went out of business that day. And ever since, they've been on a comeback now, particularly through Trump. Now, we're not talking unicorn farts here. This is not something that's not coming out of our mouth and coming out the other end. If you can uh, just go to our webpage on New Abolitionist Radio on Facebook, you'll see all the articles that support everything we're talking about, including Christie's ties to private halfway houses, uh, the scandalous prison company that he's been a lobbyist for prior to becoming a governor, and also the stories on South Carolina. This is a constitutional crisis of the highest level that includes genocide, slavery, and human trafficking. And all the facts are right there for you to peruse. All you have to do is want to. Let me read a statement about South Carolina, just to drive this home. And this is from Solitary Watch. It came out a couple of years ago. And we started out with this about South Carolina. It says, on Wednesday, in one of the most wrenching opinions you will ever read, a state judge in Columbia ruled that South Carolina prison officials were culpable of pervasive, systemic, unremitting violations of the state's constitution by abusing and neglecting mentally ill inmates. The judge, Michael Baxley, a decorated former legislator, called it, the most troubling case he had ever seen, and I cannot disagree, read the ruling, it's heartbreaking. The evidence is now sadly familiar to anyone who follows these cases. South Carolina today mistreats these ill people without any evident traces of remorse. Even though here uh, there are few disputed material issues of law or fact in the case, even though the judge implored the state to take responsibility for its conduct, South Carolina declared before the sun had set Wednesday that it would appeal the ruling and thus likely doom the inmates to years more abuse and neglect. That's not just deliberate indifference, the applicable legal standard in these prisons abuses cases, that is immoral. And that's just one quote from a judge about South Carolina's prisons. We're talking about South Carolina people where they bred human beings as sex slaves and work slaves. We're talking about South Carolina, the place where they killed a 14-year-old boy and electrocuted him to death for murders he did not commit after trying him in only 10 minutes. You know how I feel. Well, uh, Jennifer, was there anything else you wanted to add? And I, I also wanted to ask you, are you also uh, on the organizing committee for the Millions for Prisoners March on Washington? Yes, I am for New Jersey. So far, we um, you well, you introduced me to Bob from Decarcerate New Jersey, so they're on board. Yes. Um, next week, I have a meeting with um, the Black Caucus, which is part of the Green Party in New Jersey. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and I connected with one other um, woman who I was going to talk to you about later. Her son 
um, was incarcerated as a juvenile and given a life sentence. She's here in New Jersey, and she joined the New Jersey Facebook group. We want to touch base with her next week, too. And um, me and Bob are supposed to go talk with um, the People's Organization for Progress sometime this month to see if we can get their support, too. So things are moving. They're not moving as, as quickly, probably, as they could be, but they are moving. So I wanted to thank you for introducing me to Bob. I've been in contact with him since that time. Shout out to Bob with with Metcon. Indeed, uh, Decarcerate New Jersey is a, a wonderful group. And salute to you. I am really happy and very proud to know that there are people out there who don't need to be told what to do all the time. They take responsibility for an issue and act upon it. And that's what we need all across this country right now, particularly for this march. So salute to you, Jennifer, and thank you so much for everything that you are doing. You're welcome. Well, if there's anybody else that wants to call in or add a comment or yeah, question, yeah, Max, I'm sorry. Star, star to unmute yourself. Yes, I had, I had myself muted, but um, yeah, I just wanted to tell Jennifer, I, I, I wish her the best when in that meeting with Pop, because we have a regular mm-hmm. listener, Jersey girl. You know who is a member of that organization, and and she knows, you know, and she is an abolitionist and acknowledges all of that. So I'll reach out to her, and maybe she can like grease the skids for you. But I, I'm confident. Okay. I'm confident that Lawrence Ham uh, will be on board. Okay. Thank you for calling, and don't let this be the last time. It won't be. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, man. It's been a hell of a night already, man. Just some of the things that we've exposed here is no less than groundbreaking bombshells of understanding what we're dealing with here in the United States of America and across the globe now. Slavery and human trafficking. You can't pretend anymore. You can't use all these politically correct terms anymore. And you can take that mass incarceration phrase and you can stick it. Because first of all, it can't possibly be mass incarceration unless 70% of the white community is being arrested. Then you can call it mass incarceration. It's only primarily affecting minorities on that standard on levels that are beyond logic and reasoning and even mathematically figuring it out. Like where in New Jersey, there are arrests of African-Americans versus the whites of 14 to 1 in a place where they make up around 25% of the population. They're being arrested at 14 to 1. And this has been going on for decades now. So you can no longer deny it. And that mass incarceration thing, it didn't even exist until 2007. When Twitter was launched in 2007, there was only nine mentions of the words in tandem together, mass incarceration, up until 2009. And then in 2009, it started becoming part of the uh, popular culture's vernacular and the words they use to describe it, which is a misnomer because, as I said, it's not 70% of the white community being incarcerated. So then all of a sudden you saw these groups and organizations pop up to fight something that didn't even exist. There's no such thing as mass incarceration. If you really want to look at it, mass incarceration in the first period began with the transatlantic slave trade. That was the first mass incarceration period. And the second major mass incarceration period was the fugitive slave laws. Now, here we are in another major mass incarceration period. That's how you're going to look at it if you must call it mass incarceration. Words are so important. You're not fighting mass incarceration. 
You're fighting slavery. Indeed. Brothers? Well, you said it all right there, bro. It's slavery. It's plain and simple. We have not uh, ever lied on this program. I can think of maybe once or twice that we were introduced to some information that we didn't have all of the information up front, and then we corrected ourselves as soon as we got the rest of the story. But just saying that to say, overall, this program has been on pretty much every single week for at least five years. And June will be our anniversary. June 13th, I believe it is. I mean, that's unheard of on planet Earth right now, that some source of information could be more or less an unbroken stream of information just flowing nonstop for years after years after years and there's nobody getting bought off there's nobody being silenced i mean other than when we didn't had you know strange and hard to explain and understand technical difficulties and whatnot but scotty you know hats off to his engineering expertise and genius to continue to find and look for these different innovative ways to continue to put the signal out there so i mean honestly man it's been a warfare on the front lines and surely behind the scenes. And then of course, in each of, the, of us is the individuals that more or less kind of, you know, make up the core of presenting this program. It's a war going on on all fronts for years and years and years at a time. That, I mean, people talk about God power, like that's like the, the universe energy right there, giving us power to even be able to do this, leading us forward in this giving us the truth to keep presenting to people, protecting us from all the different things that come and try to shut it down. I mean, this is like a miraculous effort that goes on right here. This is something that I want you brothers to definitely feel proud of, that you are part of and what you've done to bring to our nation and to our world, to the history books. Just this presentation going on year in, year out, nothing but the facts, nothing but undisputed truth. It's it's just amazing, especially now we see in the in the age of Trump. Yeah, Obama was lying and misrepresenting plenty of things. We know that. We talked about it. We called him out for all these years when he was there. Now that we've seen alternate alternative facts become the byline of the presidential administration. Now that we've seen the lines drawn clearly in the sand, that people just don't give a damn it no more. They just gonna tell you what they want you to hear, and they don't care if it ain't even factual we see how much more so important the message of abolitionism is and how much more powerful it is as a weapon to end the tyranny that we're facing in this time that we live in. Peace to the abolitionists. Word, word, brother. Indeed, I often feel that way in my lifetime. I've never seen anything shake up this system more than what the abolitionist movement has done. And in history, it's the only time, as I said in the recording earlier, that we even had a shot at ending white supremacy uh, as we knew it at that time. If not for the betrayals of President Lincoln, we might have accomplished it. But we're going to get it done this time. We are keeping our eyes open for that 13th Amendment exception clause because you know they are a cunning people and they will try to trick you and prepare for the next stage of slavery, whatever that name may be. Usually, they already have it up their sleeve and already ready to to flow out prior to them having a controlled demolition of what they had previous to. 
Scotty, you want to add anything on this, brother? Uh, no, bro. Let's let's just um, keep the information flowing. Let's move on to our next story as, you know, we don't want to run up against the clock as we got another program coming on after us. So what's next, bro? All right. Well, the next thing I want to talk about is a story that's been around now for a couple of years. Oh, just and a minute, man. I'm sorry. Yes, just sir? a minute. It looks like mm-hmm. we have a, um, another caller, area code 864. Thank you for calling New Abolitionist Radio. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you. Uh-oh, as soon as they were going to speak, uh, they lost their signal, so um, hopefully they'll call back in. Go ahead, Max. Um, yes, please, if you if you can hear us, uh, probably not because you lost the signal, but if you can hear us, uh, once you get yourself together, just give us a call back and press star star to unmute yourself and let us know you're here. Uh, what uh, I want Max, to talk about was a Max, story that's been around see. for a couple of years. Max, Max. Yes, Scott. Yeah, let me see if we got them back. Okay, 864, okay. did you want to make a comment? Yes, I just had a, a question. One of the um, main um, abolitionists passed away recently, Joe Neal. Do you have the article that featured Joe Neal, Representative Joe Neal from Richland County? I mean, yes, Richland County. Um, let me look it up. You said one of the main abolitionists. What do you mean, prison abolitionists? No, not prison. Uh, oh, not prison, abolitionist. but um, labor, prison labor laws. There are prison labor laws in ah, South Carolina. okay. Senator Joe Neal, you said? South Carolina dies at 66. If you don't have the article, I can email it. That's what I was asking. No, I, I've got it already. I pulled it right on up. Uh, it's the wonderful thing about living in the age of information. Anything you want to know is at your fingertips. Uh, a lot more than just what you can find on uh, world star hip hop or porn sites. No offense uh, intended, just saying that you know, it's so easy now to find things out if you want to know it, uh, which is surprising that most people don't use that uh, ability to have the world's knowledge at their fingertips and not exercise it. So, so go ahead with your comment about Senator or State Representative Joe Neal. Yes, he recently passed just before um, the Boeing vote. I believe he passed just a few days before the vote. But he was a strong advocate against the prison labor laws. Uh, hmm. The date of the article that you're reading um do you have a date for it? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, it says June 20th. Well, they the photo from June 23rd, and the date says February 15th, 2017. Oh, okay. That's him. But the actual article in which he um, spoke on the floor in regards to the prison labor laws. So I'll, I'll have to I'll look up it. that. But, okay. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for all that you do. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing that. I, I will look at look up if we can get more information on what he was fighting and how. I wish I would have known it. I would have loved to have met this brother before his passing, and was sorry to hear that uh, an ally is gone that we never even got a chance to work beside. Rest in peace, brother. Thank you for calling in New Abolitionist Radio, Scotty. Any other callers on the line? Not at Question this moment. Comment? Not at this moment, Max. All right. Um, I guess I'll go back into the uh, story then. And it's it's one of several stories, but I'm just going to talk about this one. 
it's the story that came out from the Nixon tapes. When we found out by reports who knew Nixon personally and wrote these things down and recorded them, that the war on drugs was purposely crafted in revenge almost of the movements of the 60s and that it was meant to specifically target African-Americans in the United States. And for some reason, this story never seems to get any traction. It's like we find it hard to believe that something like that could ever be done then, and we also can't read the writing on the wall that it can be done now. You see, Nixon manipulated the CIA, the FBI, and the IRS like they were his personal weapons to use against black people in the United States. Presidential power is a very strong thing. He resigned in total disgrace, a disgraced president, and he was quickly followed by, I believe, his second vice president, who was never part of any campaign. It was really our first unelected president here in the United States of America. Let me read some of this article. An eye-opening remark from a former aide to President Richard Nixon pulls back the curtain on the true motivation of the United States' war on drugs. John Ehrlichman, who served 18 months in prison for his central role in the Watergate scandal, was Nixon's chief domestic advisor when the president announced the war on drugs in 1971. The administration cited a high death toll and the negative social impacts of drugs to justify expanding federal drug control agencies. Doing so set the scene for decades of socially and economically disastrous policies. Journalist Don Baum wrote in the April cover story of Harper's about how he interviewed Ehrlichman in 1994, coincidentally the same time that Wykenhut stocks were launched, while working on a book about drug prohibition. Ehrlichman provided some shockingly honest insights into the motives behind the drug war. And it says, here's a quote. You want to know what this was really all about? He asked the, with the bluntness of a man who, at the public disgrace and a stretch in a federal prison, had little left to protect. The Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or blacks. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. That is some of the most demonic shit I've ever heard in my life. To this day, the bottom of that decision is still rising. We're talking about you would need all the graves in America to fill them up with those bodies that is the direct result of this racist, disgraced, criminal president. To this you know, day. And do we ever go back and say, hey, Maybe that criminal was wrong about a few things. Maybe he did some stuff that caused some problems for some people. Maybe we should investigate it. We don't do that. 
And I don't understand why. I don't understand well, why the story Max, doesn't get traction or why we don't react to that. Well, Max, it's because slavery has always been a pillar of the economic uh, uh, foundation of America. All right. And it provides a lot of jobs for people. And and so, you know, the good thing, though, now in terms of cannabis legalization, we're starting to see a lot of people pay attention to the science instead of propaganda on cannabis and 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 just feel that it's ridiculous to be locking up people for use of this plant that has either for medicinal benefits or recreational benefits. So that's the only good thing is that a lot of people eyes are opening. While I and and this also allows me to highlight the fact that President Obama, former CEO of USA Inc was a big fraud and phony when it come to whether you want to call it mass incarceration or a continuation of slavery. Because I've heard people making plenty of excuses for that man and saying, well, he was just one man. He can't do everything by himself. And the Republicans was blocking him on this and that. Well, guess what? Just like how Nixon and them criminalized cannabis, he could have removed it from the scheduled list of drugs. Okay? He refused to do it. He said, if you want it done, pass some legislation. And then nothing else was said about it. When these countries in South America said, we think this drug war is stupid. We want to legalize cannabis. Well, you what, what Obama told them at the, uh, what was it? It was, I forget the name of the meeting, but it was like when these regional, it was like a meeting between South, Central, and North American countries. And they made that proposal to him. He going to say, well, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. No, y'all not going to end the drug war. Now, if y'all want to keep getting butter biscuits from the United States, you not going to end it. And so they didn't end it. So a lot of people just don't know how that one plant is the cause of people getting locked up, you know, and, and put into modern slavery and human trafficking. So we need to keep fighting on that. Now, on the other hand, you mentioned heroin. Right now, we see white communities and rural areas like where I live who are experiencing a, a heroin epidemic. And also, meth is king in North Carolina. All right? Now... But the rhetoric we've been hearing, though, is, oh, we don't want to lock up these people. We want to get them some help. So I'm wondering, though, I'm wondering now that you got Jeff Sessions, a pro-drug war, uh, a sycophant, uh, I don't think he's going to be kinder and gentler to those people. So maybe they might start getting locked up and rounded up in a huge amount of numbers. And maybe that community, uh, the majority of that community, will get behind abolitionism. Once they see that they're, you know, I wouldn't say being targeted, but that, you know, they being swept up in the modern day slavery behind drug addiction and what have you. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But, yeah, that that was just terrible. That was just terrible. And Nixon was lying. He was lying. He was saying like so many people were overdosing from heroin when at the time it was more people dying from falling down a flight of stairs than it was from overdoing on heroin. But the whole thing was to reinvigorate slavery in this country because a lot of people, as the caller 
uh, I forget her name, that called in from New Jersey, told us a lot of our own people even work on the plantation as overseers. So, you know, I'm not, yeah, yeah I'm not surprised, but, you know, I'm glad that, that we're able to get this information and put it out to people, and hopefully it'll wake them up. On several parts of tonight's program, we've touched on that uh, problem that because this system is so embedded in everything that we do, and that many of our livelihoods are dependent upon it, we find that it is more important to us to feed our family via these jobs than to look clearly upon the idea of slavery and human trafficking. And so we allow it to continue. Because as you mentioned earlier, you can't bring back manufacturing. So what do they do in place of that? They create these jobs for prison guards, for police, for probation officers, and for all the areas of the criminal justice system, which does what? Enslave people. You are eating your dinner based on the suffering and death and destruction of people, communities, cities, and states. You have to make a decision. What's important to you? So I mean, you, know, you don't you have, have to. You don't. It's have a very, very hard decision. I know it. I know it. And you know, I just want to read one more quote from that Nixon article. They said, in other words, the intense racial targeting that becomes synonymous with the drug war wasn't an unintended side effect. It was the whole point. Again, it was the whole point from the man who was there that had nothing left to lose and no reason to lie, telling you what was going on. See, these, in chaos theory, this is called the initial conditions of creation. When you do something, or you put in an equation that, from that equation, ripple effects go outwards forever. And that's what happened with Nixon. You know, that's what happened when Ronald Reagan brought in the first for a private prison in Louisiana, a women's prison. It happened then. It happened when the Clintons helped the, to launch the IPO of Wackenhut Correction Corporation. And it's happening again now with the immigration system and Trump's war on immigrants. You know, um, also, Max, just one point I'd like to make before we take our last break is... Yes, sir. Often I would hear people, and this was even before I came to the realization that the 13th Amendment actually constitutionalized slavery, whereas before it did not. But, you know, back during that time, I often would hear people say, well, you know, if I lived back then, I would have been an abolitionist or I wouldn't have stood for this and I wouldn't have stood for that and what have you. Well, guess what? You don't have to imagine uh, slavery pre-1865 because you're living it post-1865. So what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Word. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Max Parthas, Scotty Reed, and Johanna Elia, and our callers contributed. We're gonna take a message. Be right back. Here. Talk Radio Network is made possible in part with help from the Black Talk Media Project, a North Carolina-based nonprofit engaged in the production and distribution of independent digital black media. Find out more by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com or blacktalkmediaproject.org 
and look for the menu tab, Crowdfunding Black Media. Black Talk Media Project, helping to provide you with new black media for the new millennium. Radio. Um, before we do our Rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad, which is in itself a very powerful story, I just want to read a quick quote from an abolitionist. Ernestine Rose said this. And she, uh, it was in History of Women's Suffrage, 1861-1876. She said, if you allow one single germ, one single seed of slavery to remain in the soil of America, that germ will spring up that noxious weed will thrive and again stifle the growth, wither the leaves, blast the flowers, and poison the fair fruits of freedom. She was talking about the 13th Amendment, that seed that was planted and exploited thereafter until we have what we see today. And what we see today can be manifested in our rider of the 21st century underground railroads, where we highlight these stories every week of people who have gained their freedom after years of being inside of these plantations. This week is uh, an innocent man jailed for 24 years after being framed over British tourist murder in New Orleans is freed by two lawyers who exposed a jaw-dropping fit-up that shames the U.S. legal system. And this is a new story just coming out the 18th of February, just a couple days ago. At first, said Robert Jones, I thought this must be a practical joke, but the police were real, and they were taking me to the homicide division. I assumed they would turn me loose because I'd done nothing wrong. Of course, that didn't happen. Jones, now 44, is describing his arrest at 4 a.m. on April 18, 1992, for the notorious killing of a British tourist, Julie Scott, as well as three robberies and a brutal rape. He had... No previous convictions, and by the time of his trial, another man had already been convicted of Julie's murder. But Jones was was to spend the next 24 years of his life locked up in Louisiana's most terrifying prisons for crimes that even the lawyers who convicted him knew he had not committed. It was not until the end of January this year that New Orleans prosecutors, who for years hid evidence proving Jones's innocence, finally announced they would not seek a retrial following his victory on appeal. Incredibly, the manhunt that led him to spend more than half of his life in jail was backed by a British newspaper, The Sun, having offered a $10,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the man who killed Julie, who had been holidaying in New Orleans. It later boasted on its front page that it had trapped Julie's killer, adding that Jones was a beast who was raised in a stinking hell. The British connection did not end there. Where Were it not for the dogged persistence of two British lawyers, Emily Maul and Richard Davis from the Innocence Project, New Orleans IPNO, then Jones would still be in the stinking hell of the Angola Penitentiary, a former slave plantation. 
You know what? Take the former out of it. A slave plantation where inmates still pick cotton in conditions a little different from the 1850s. This isn't just a story of a prisoner fitted up, wrongfully convicted, and freed because of a bombshell new evidence. It also it is also the story of a man of exceptional courage who overcame impossible odds and utter degradation to prove his innocence and emerge as a man transformed. When Jones went to jail, he could barely read. He left not only with a high school diploma, but having passed college-level law courses that meant he did much of the legal spade work that underpinned his appeal. Inside, he also ran a prisoner self-help group with 700 members. I was supposed to die in prison and to stay the way I was, an uneducated black boy, Jones said. I didn't let that happen, but I feel for Julie and the other victims, like me, they are victims of a system that has utterly failed. Julie Scott, 27, a fashion graduate from Greater Manchester, was murdered on the evening of April 14, 1992, towards the end of a holiday with her boyfriend, Peter Ellis. They were walking to the hotel through the New Orleans French Quarter when a gunman leapt out in front of them and told them to lie down. They were slow to comply, and the man fired. One bullet grazed Peter's shirt, but Julie was hit twice in the arm and fatally in the head. It was soon apparent that the murder was one of a series of attacks. Witnesses said the perpetrator drove a distinct vehicle, a maroon Oldsmobile Delta 88 with a white roof. Six days before the murder, its driver had robbed and kidnapped a woman whom he raped several times. The same man was believed responsible for a further robbery shortly before Julie was murdered. And yet another one afterwards, the police had no idea who he was. Enter the sun. Julie's slaying triggered outrage in Britain, prompting the paper to offer the reward, which in fact was never paid. But the poor black community of New Orleans, $10,000 was a fortune. Calls flooded into the police and somebody fingered Robert. Arrested while in bed with his girlfriend, Kendra, he was paraded half naked in front of the TV cameras and charged later that day. Robert Jones was taken to the Orleans Parish Jail, a dangerous, violent place full of drug addicts who were detoxifying, he said, and was locked in a four-bunk cell. There were fights all the time, often over food. In the following months, he sustained several injuries, broken fingers, a broken wrist. The jail was filthy and anarchic. The guards were in control, but they left a lot to the prisoners. Two weeks after his arrest, Kendra paid her first visit. She had big news. She was pregnant. I was excited and sad all at the same time, Jones said, until I went to jail. I didn't have an idea that innocent guys could be convicted. But now everyone was telling me it happened. That figure, the figure bears him out. Since 1991, 44 long-term and death row Louisiana prisoners have been exonerated, 18 of them thanks to the IPNO. Meanwhile, two days after Jones was arrested, a gunman held up another couple walking through New Orleans, ordered them to lie down and stole their jewelry. Then he drove off in a maroon Delta 88 with a white roof. This time, the police led by Detective James Stewart traced the car and its owner, Lester Jones, no relation to Robert, to a rundown house housing estate. He was wearing jewelry stolen in the robberies and from the rape victim, and more was found in the car. While a gun in his apartment was an exact ballistic match for the weapon used to murder Julie, Stewart hunted for the evidence of a link between him and Robert, but found none. It should have been obvious that charging him had been a mistake, but the New Orleans District Attorney Office, led by Harry Connick, father of singer Harry Connick Jr., refused to admit it. Lester Jones was charged with the murder and the robberies, but Robert stayed in jail, still facing trial. 
the rest of this story is about three or four minutes long. I don't want to read the rest. I think you understand what happened here. This man was railroaded. He was framed. And then he spent 24 years in jail while they played footsies with freaking documents instead of just letting him free. His entire community was included in his own lips by using money for poor people to rat him out when he had done nothing wrong at all. We here salute you and welcome to freedom, brother. Welcome to freedom. Salute. Welcome home. Salute. Welcome back. This is what it is, man. Systemic. Like we said, it's a system. It's an institution of the state. It's not an, it's not an anomaly. It's not some crazy once you well, you know, every once in a while there's a, there's a three to 5%, uh, you know, failure rate in the system, but overall it works good. No, it ain't none of that. This is what the system is designed to do because it generates revenue. It's genocide, man. It's genocide. And it made it so bad. He had to spend 24 years on a, prison slave plantation that was not only a former actual slave plantation, but was named after the people that enslaved Angolans mm-hmm. and still picking cotton to this day. Again, the institution of the system, the, the state itself, people that are shocked and alarmed at a Donald Trump presidency are people that I have a hard time trusting I have a hard time trusting that you've been awake and your eyes have been open and you so-called some kind of way conscious and you're wise and you're aware. I have a hard time believing you've been fighting for a damn thing. If you shocked at seeing Donald Trump, what we, what you just said right there should have every person on a, on edge right there. Angola penitentiary, former, as they say, quote unquote, slave plantation where they just so happen to still be picking goddamn cotton. That's enough right there. Sounds to, me, sounds to me like Donald Trump came home and, and uh, assumed the power of his throne that this nation was created uh, for him all these hundreds of years ago. That's what I think mm-hmm. when I see him. I think he came home. I think he rose yeah. on up to, to the power seat that was prepared for him in a place like this. And who is doing all of this? of all prosecutors are white. 83% of them are white men. White men. You don't think that institutional racism exists in sex group every single day? No wonder you can't find any court pictures because if you start looking at the pictures of what's going on in court, you'll see all these defendants are black and brown and all the people prosecuting them and ushering them through this assembly line of human flesh are white people. It's a damn shame. Well, we've only got 15 minutes left. We're actually less than that. And we need to get on to our abolitionist in profile. Yes, Scott? Yes, before you do the abolitionist in profile, uh, because it's been a while since I've been on air, I do want to acknowledge the, um, I hate using the word, what's another word for anniversary? Uh, Commemoration? The commemoration of the assassination of Malcolm X, upon which his words on the power of media is how uh, upon those words were Black Talk Media Project founded. But he was an abolitionist, in my opinion, um, 
and this is what he said, and I just want to share this in recognition of Malcolm X. He said, when a person places the proper value on freedom, there is nothing under the sun that he will not do to acquire that freedom. Whenever you hear a man saying he wants freedom, but in the next breath he is going to tell you what he won't do to get it or what he doesn't believe in doing in order to get it, he doesn't believe in freedom. A man who believes in freedom will do anything under the sun to acquire or preserve his freedom. Amen. Salute Brother Malcolm X, indeed. The anniversary of his assassination here in the United States of America. All right. Anything else, Scotty? That's it, sir. Um, well, would you like me to do this week's uh, abolitionist in profile, or yes, do you want it, to do it? If you would, if you could. For okay. Me. All right, no problems. Um, this was a surprise to her. Um, she didn't know about it until today. So I went searching for information on her, and I wasn't able to find a full bio, but I've got enough for us to put this down as a record, as her being remembered here today on New Abolitionist Radio as our abolitionist in profile. Her name is Crystal Roundtree. She is the founder and director of I Am We Prison Advocacy Network, chairperson for Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Organization Committee, and the March, Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, which their mission statement says, we seek to unite activists, advocates, prisoners, ex-prisoners, their family and friends, as well as all others committed to the fight to drastically reduce or eliminate prisons and the prison system and replace them with more humane and effective systems. Our aim is to expose the prison industrial complex for the human rights violation that it truly is. We want to challenge the idea that caging and controlling people keeps communities safe. We believe that for too long our nation has relied upon incarceration as a way to solve broader social problems to its detriment. In August of 2017, we will march on Washington to bring world attention to the continued slavery and involuntary servitude in America enabled by the 13th Amendment and to highlight the ever-increasing movement against the prison industrial complex, the new abolitionist movement. We here at New Abolitionist Radio salute you, Sister Crystal Roundtree. Salute. 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 Indeed, brother. Indeed. Man. Well, we got 10 minutes. We got our final statements. Well, actually, we got less than 10 minutes, Max. Remember, we got to be off air by uh, five minutes till so I can switch out the streams for the next program. We got five minutes. It's been a powerful program. I want to thank all our callers for participating here tonight. Definitely dropped some bombs and added more to our uh, testimony and evidence here being gathered in our charges for crimes against humanity. Uh, which one of you would like to uh, finish off with a final statement for the evening? Yes, I will. I'll go ahead and start and just say that I'm just very inspired. I continue to be inspired week after week as I find out about these new abolitionists doing great work out there in the field. You know, five years ago, I thought I was the only one who recognized that slavery had never been abolished after I read the 13th Amendment. 
Then I came across Max. Then I came across, and Max introduced me to Legacy Leonard. May she rest in power. Um, also, Erica X. And then we ran into Johannan, and he came apart. And over the years, we have interviewed so many people, and we keep uh, coming across even more new abolitionists. And I'm just very, very proud to be part of this movement. And, and you know, what a great time to be alive. Yes, sir. Amen to that. Johannan, welcome back again, too, by the way, brother. I'm glad you're back. Uh, right on. Good to be back. Good to be back. I was never really gone. I mean, you know what this work requires up front and behind the scenes. So just uh, sometimes taking kind of a background position, but still trying to produce information and definitely supporting the movement in spirit and in truth and physical as well as prayer, you know, meditation and, and all of that. It's all a, a part of it. But good to be back, get back in the flow um, and, you know, another powerful program. And as I say all the time, you know, you you ain't going to catch us in a lie because we don't lie. You're not going to fool us with what's going on because we know the history. So when you know the history, you know what's going on right now, you sure as hell know where things are headed as long as what you're fighting for has not yet been achieved. So peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors. If you somebody out there call yourself oppressing people, then I guess you know who you are. Amen, brother. Um, I'm going to keep mine real simple. We learned today that the GEO Group has purchased CEC for $360 million in cash. If you remember what happened with AT&T, you can very likely predict what's going to happen with our prison systems. And when our prison systems take over the world and start running our governments, you can best believe that nobody is going to be safe. I had a long, constructive, and revealing talk today with a DNA forensic science specialist out in Alabama. Likely next week, she'll be our guest on New Abolitionist Radio. Let me tell you, when we finally make our charges of crimes against humanity, that ham sandwich is going straight to jail without passing go or collecting $200. And everybody is going to know that abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace.